listening to season two of Pod. We are sisters, one West Coast, one East Coast, one straight mom of toddler twins, one gay, uh, multiply divorced, <laughs> one lifelong gag of the Chrissy fan, one new reader. Season one got the two of us through the first shitty year of COVID. Follow along with us for season two as we drink and sometimes remember to talk about the book. Hello? Hello, hi. Okay. Oh my gosh, we're back. Can we remember how to do this? Hello, listeners. We are finally back. We've had a little bit of a hiatus because of life and lifing. Yes, because, you know, it's weird how the pandemic, we had, we, do you remember we were doing this twice a week? I can't believe you're the one who reminded me that. I was like, were we really doing this twice a week? We had nothing else to do in like mid-2020. <laughs> nothing else to do. And now it's like, oh my God, trying to do it once a week, trying to do it once a month is hard. And mid 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 2020 because of all the things we weren't you guys weren't getting sick at all because you weren't exposing yourself to any germs right now you're living a life where kids get sick which gets grown up sick well um, of course when we started this my kids were not even one right now now they're now now they're almost four and they're out there getting them germs Mm -hmm. oh god i told you the story about annika washing your hands did i tell you the story i don't think so so of course we try to get them to wash their hands all the time and use the potty and wash your hands before we eat and all that so she uses the potty and we're like okay lunch is on the table come on let's use the potty and she leaves the bathroom and i'm like no you got to wash your hands and so she looks down at her hands and proceeds to lick them oh no out i'm trying not i'd be like the reason we wash our hands is not to get them wet you are not a cat <laughs> oh, no. so she definitely used the potty wiped her own bum and then <laughs> oh, no. licked her hands do i do i need to uh, do a uh, aunt amanda with the uh, microbiology for toddlers for preschoolers we have pandemics for babies i did we have a bernstein bears all about um, <laughs> washing your hands oh no i, mean, I hung out i babysat today for my friend um she had to anyway i had i babysat today for my friend and she was like i have the huge favor to ask can you hang out with my five-year-old and play Pantyland so i can go to work for a couple hours and I was like, you know, I prefer to socialize with people under six. So that's right up my alley. That's what I want to do on a Saturday. I'm anyway. assuming you said Candyland and not Pantyland. Because I heard Pantyland. Oh, no! It's a five-year-old! <laughs> no! I was like, Not what? that kind of party! Candyland. Candyland right? Okay. <laughs> yes. So, anyways, um, but I when, when I was there, I went to the bathroom. And, and, and when I came out, he's like, did you wash your hands? <laughs> yes but i felt slightly ashamed i like showed him i was like see i didn't dry him that well they're still kind of wet you can tell (laughs) 
<laughs> he was the hand washing police, but he's a he's a just a turned five. Older. Yeah, so a little bit older because my kids are not there yet. Where I'm just like, oh my god, That's... no wonder you guys keep getting sick. If I'm like, wash your hands. Like <laughs> she licked her hand. If it gets moist, <laughs> that's getting it clean. Oh, that no. counts. <laughs> I just I remember because I watched her face where I was like, you need to wash your hands, and she looks down at her hands. <laughs> I see her brain going, tukong, 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 tukong. and she's like. I know what to do. <laughs> Portia, we're off the rails already. We <laughs> haven't even introduced the book we're talking about. These people are going to like... We haven't even said welcome to Paropod. <laughs> welcome to Paropod. I'm so sorry. We're bad at this. We were out of practice and we were never good at it when we were in practice. Hey, one of our three fans said they liked it when we do nonsense but it does help when we kind of have a topic to veer off okay of. so yes yeah, so today we are talking about the mary westmacott the pseudonym of agatha christie remember when garth brooks um uh did the r&b albums no I you don't remember that no i gotta look it up garth. oh god so your your analogy is this is like Garth Brooks doing R and B. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, he did it under the name Chris Gaines. Oh, maybe I do remember this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. same same thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Agatha Christie doesn't want to write a mystery. She's got a pseudonym, which is so Mary Westmacott, which. As we were talking about with um, the author of, can't remember the one time we talked to an author. The one time we talked to an author of the book about the ski chalet. Um, yeah. She was saying that like they're called romances, but they're not really romances. This is definitely not a romance. No, it's not. It is an interior monologue book. Yeah, oh. it's 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 almost. I would call it like a psychological thriller. <laughs> except for like yeah. <laughs> you know what i'm saying no, like nothing thrilling i mean yeah so it is like it's it's like psychologically thrilling like will she make a breakthrough sort of that's true so this is her third one under this name and so and the first one always... we've talked about yeah i forced yeah. you into right because i never read these because it's not a mystery i mean like there's nobody dies nobody there's no like no murder, no mystery. I had to basically badger you into reading this because I liked it so much. And I think the only reason I read it is because I was like, again, deep pandemic and it like came up on one of the free apps on bookaudioonline.com. That's bookaudio. We're going to do commercials. We've got to fill out the paperwork to get paid. We do. It's a new tax year. Let's do it. You're going to do your commercial voice. <laughs> Yeah, I came up, and then I read it, and I was like, I was captivated, and I freaking loved it, and then I forced you to read it. So I don't freaking love it, but it was good. It, I, I, it definitely kept me on the edge of my seat. I wanted a seat. I wanted to read the whole thing. Um, and then I found the ending unsatisfying, which we can get into. But Which is interesting. Okay, so as we get into this whole thing of Agatha Christie writing as Mary Rathmacott, what's interesting is she does so much... Um, breaking the fourth wall in these books where she's like the you know where she'll when she writes the character who is a mystery writer and she's like yes I write the same thing over and over readers are idiots 
they right. want the same shit. Like she's she very much hates her job but knows it sells and she tells us that often. Right. And this one, I found a quote that said that she described Absent the Spring as the one book that satisfied me completely, the book I wanted, always wanted to write. So she liked this book, and she wrote Prorose to pay the mortgage. I don't think she hated writing mysteries. She often she tells us she hates Praro. But she hated Praro. Okay. She hated Praro. <laughs> Which is ironic because we're calling a Praro pod. But yeah, I think she liked mysteries, but she got really tired of Praro. But he was the one that people keep. But you know, even then, where she'll say, like, when she. I've, what's the name of the character that she uses as a stand in for herself? Uh, Oliver. Adri- Adrian. Yeah. Andrei- she'll say, yeah, when someone criticizes her, she's like, yeah, I use the same trope over and over. And she said that right. very early on to us. Where it's like, she's right. like, not finding this challenging. But right. And then her. Sells. Mrs. Oliver's one is not belgian but some other random not british flemish or something yeah and then he really likes bananas and she's like i don't know why bananas but now i always have to bring in bananas and so yeah like she kind of complains about that the second quote about this she wrote in her autobiography about this book that we're about to discuss it was written with integrity with sincerity it was written as i was meant to write it and that is the proudest joy an author can have it was, has never been adapted to a play, which I can imagine why, because, wow. And she wrote it in three days. Oh, my gosh. I didn't see that part. Yeah. On the AgathaChristie.com, they said that she wrote the whole thing in three days. So good. Okay. So let's set the scene. What's going on in this book portion? Wait, what year are we in? Well, she wrote it in 44, but she said it in, like, 10 years earlier, like mid thirties, because it's before the war and the Nazis are mentioned as coming. Right. And 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 here they do the thing that you always criticize where you're sort of like, you feel like she glosses over Nazism and fascism and war and stuff. And like in this book, it clearly is 10 years after looking back and being like, huh, some people are saying these Nazis are up to no good, but I don't think so. Like it's clearly written like with, the right she wrote it yeah she wrote it close closer to the end and so that people of privilege could be like i don't know what's the big deal took a couple pictures with a fascist they seem they seem great you know right but like the tone tells you that as an audience we know that like that's not going to end well for siding with fascism right right and yeah like so it's clear that she's figured it out and is writing and but she's writing about people who are like, well, I don't know, maybe this will be bad, but you know, the war hasn't started yet in writing. And, and it, to me, it's interesting to show how people of privilege were like rubbing elbows with the fascists. And right. you know right. what I mean? Like, it, you know, we've seen that in a few things in media, even in like, some of the really like traditional like uh, oh dang it what's the the classic movie with the fan, the von traps uh, uh sound of music well you well you see that like the fascists got the nazis and the fascists got in with people of privilege and were kind of like at these balls and stuff and so like there right. was sort of a an error right and so like it was i don't know i th- i actually thought she did a skillful demonstration of that Oh yeah, and uh, and it's interesting because she did it way before. Because by the '60s, everybody was writing like that. 
you know, because that Sound of Music came out in 65. Um, but also she wrote more books in the 60s and talked about, um, but there were also, there was a bunch of stuff where looking back, people could be like, oh yeah, they were kind of weaseling their way in. And by the 60s, people were able to do that. But in the 40s, you know, she actually was ahead of the game and able to- And kind, kind of, of showing how someone of privilege might be like, oh yeah, I met these people at a party and they seemed, yeah, no, I mean, they're a little bit extreme, but whatever. You'd like, I, right. I appreciated the way she showed that. Yeah. So basically this book has one character. One character only. Yeah. <laughs> It's one person. That's why it's a psychological thriller because you're in her head the whole book. The entire plot of the story is this. Joan was in Iraq and Baghdad visiting her daughter. And then she runs into an old school friend at like... Because, of course, flying back then, you did a lot of stops, and you might stay overnight in one of the stops. Right, so she's she's taking a train back across... from right. Iraq to wherever she's going to fly out of. And so she's right. taking a train and she runs into a frenemy at best. Right. From school. And then she, the friend is actually going into Iraq and she's leaving. And, um, and then she takes the train to this guest house where people who stay. And then you catch the train the next day from Turkey um up through Europe. Um, and then there's huge weather problems where the train can't come for four or five days and they don't even know how long. Right. So all of a sudden she's stranded and it keeps kind of getting extended. Right. So she has no along how, and she's not in any danger. She's just at a guest house and she has two books, which she reads. She runs out of paper. She runs out of something to write on. Um, and she runs out of books to read. There's plenty of food. She's just there by herself, um, except for the two people who work at the guest house, and she doesn't know how long. And then eventually, so this is the entire plot. I'm just doing the plot first. So eventually the train does come. She gets on the train, gets back to London, gets back to, meets her daughter in London, second daughter in London, and then goes home to her husband. That's the entire story. That's the (laughs) only A woman, a woman gets trapped at a you know for at a, at a train station at a guest house at a train station for a few days and then goes home like nothing happens that's, that's the entire story but um, it's a psychological thriller because you're in her head and the problem right. is with stillness which i could highly relate to is that you know being trapped with one's own thoughts is is scary especially because this woman is the worst and it's pretty obvious from like the first time you hear her talk in her head about other people well yeah so it's interesting so this friend that she meets on the train her internal monologue is like ugh, she's just like like so basically joan's whole thing is respectability so she's like this woman she married a man that was a loser or a drunk or whatever. And, and then she married a second man. Yeah, and, and, and the was... woman she talks to basically has no qualms about respectability. She's like, yeah, I married this guy. He was working class or whatever below my station. Whatever it was, like all the things that Joan values that are all respectability-based, this woman doesn't care. I was, well, the other did thing this was... something out of wedlock? 
my husband was a drunk all the like she just doesn't care and she's just living a what to my perspective from 2023 is just an honest life just being like hey you know people are people and i'm doing my thing and i'm doing my best but joan is just like oh, respectability oh, respectability but also respectability. joan is very focused on not just respected but looks because she talks about how she looks younger right than... joan is so focused on the fact that she's aged so well and she doesn't look old and her and her friend has like her age shows, shows so much more. And I don't remember exactly how old Joan is, but she's probably around our age. I was, yeah, I, was, I think she was like 50, but yeah. So she's got like adult, kids. like young adult kids. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah she's probably one like 21. Yeah. Right. So, so she's probably 40s to 50s. Yeah. Like young, so, young, young 50s, if anything. Right. And but so like she, you and I could both see ourselves because like, you know, you didn't have kids young and I don't have kids, but like we have friends that who have young adult kids. Right. And so she definitely was like, I look so young for my age and Blanche looks so old. So her, her friend of me was Blanche. Um, but from the get go, this and woman she's the is, friend of me. Blanche is fine. <laughs> yeah. Joan is the most judgy bitch, you know, like where she's just like, oh, well, that's just the same because I'm so much better than that. And, oh, she's just so, you know, and she's so judging. And she's pitying this person who's so much happier than her. Like, she runs oh, yeah. it. So, wait, what's, what's, uh... Blanche. Blanche. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, so she's just like, oh, poor Blanche. She hasn't aged well, blah, blah, blah. But, like... Blanche is happy and Blanche is like oh I'm gonna do this and like Joan is like oh, respectability and then she's just in her head like I can't believe that she admitted that or she said that out loud and like everything but like Blanche is happy and an honest person and Joan is so stuck on do I look pretty is my makeup perfect does my marriage look perfect like she's just all respectability well and, and what happens to- from an early thing oh go ahead I talked over you well I was gonna say that like she honestly thinks that she is perfect. Mm-hmm. Pity is her like default. Right. Right. She pities everyone because she's perfect. And what's interesting is from the beginning as you're, it's interesting as a, as a reader to be positioned as someone who like, doesn't like the person's head you're in. <laughs> right. Like that's interesting. So she's kind of the, she's an antihero because you're not supposed to like her and you're in her head. Okay, and from, I'm gonna up? go get wine. Don't don't freak out. I'm gonna okay. be off screen. I'm not gonna panic. Okay. Um. See, I'm already panicking. I'm like, I can't make words. I'm like, where did Portia go? <laughs> like, ah, how do I do it? So, as so, Irene makes these comments like, "Oh, you are visiting your daughter. Don't worry, it's all gonna pass over. It's gonna be fine." And Joan is like, "What is she even talking about? Of course, everything's fine with my daughter. Everything's totally fine with my daughter. Nothing's going on there." But Irene's like, hey, she was kind of wild when she was young, but hey, it's all going to work out. Like, so there's something that... Wait, who's Irene? That's Blanche. Where did you get Irene from? I have no idea. (laughs) What? Okay, I'm going to move Blanche to the... uh, the, the paragraph that I'm looking at. Because I was like... Apparently those are the same names in my head. 
But um, yeah, so so Blanche is sort of referring to, oh, you just visited your daughter. Yeah, it's all going to be fine. She she was young and wild, but she's getting it together now. And Joan is like, what is she even talking about? Of course, everything's fine. My daughter, there was never a problem. And so clearly, like, the world at large right. knows something about her daughter that she doesn't know. And that's exactly her right. thing. Like, right. she refuses no- to know things she doesn't want to know. And then... And Blanche refers to Joan's husband having a, a roving eye. Yep, eye forever. And Blanche is on her third husband. A lot less judgmental of herself than you and I are about multiple marriages. Um, but um, <laughs> yes. But um, but anyway, so Joan's been married to the same person forever, and then Blanche says something about a roving eye, and Joan's yeah, her like, husband having a roving about? eye. She's like, my husband doesn't have a roving eye. Yeah, so she moves on from Blanche. Like she has the interaction with Blanche, and then she, after that, is when she gets stuck in this place by herself, and she kind of keeps coming back to that. What did Blanche mean about my husband's roving eye? There was that girl whose name was Mirna, but he wasn't interested in Mirna. Like. Mirna was throwing himself at her, but did that have anything happen there? And so she, she kind of just, it's, it's literally, this is why I love this book. It is one of those mental spirals you get into. And I don't, I know my experience is not universal, but it felt like my mental spirals, but like someone else's, it was like living someone else's mental spiral. And well, that um, happens to yeah. me so often as a person with anxiety that I'm just like, I, I get into these mental spirals. And so like, I'm living in someone else's spiral and it's almost like if that happened for me, but then I had some breakthroughs because she keeps having these breakthroughs. So she's like Mirna and this and that. And she's, you're living in, like, I've just haven't experienced a narrative anywhere else, anywhere in literature like that, where I'm in someone's brain, just their brain. Like, and that's what's so magic about it is because, like, yes, this this interaction with Blanche, not Irene, with Blanche, plants the seed, <laughs> and then and then like she reflects on her interaction with her daughter and everything. But it's just her spiraling in her head, and every time she spirals, she goes a little further. And normally in our spirals, at least in my spirals, it just. <laughs> you just get into one place but she she has some revelations in her spirals because she's a person who is keeping herself from knowing the truth and like you Portia I know your life you know my life we've both been in places where we are not telling ourselves the truth and so there's a time when you realize the truth and like in this case it's I'm a terrible judgy person but like there's been times with you or me where it's like oh crap this is not a safe situation for me this is not a good person to be around all those things right and so like but you got to think about it over and over and over you got a little get a little further each time and sometimes it is about me like sometimes i'm the jerk and sometimes you gotta be like oh i'm the jerk here and so that the way that she writes the mental spirals and it's not tedious to me it wasn't tedious to read it was literally a psychological thrill like i'm on the edge of my seat is she gonna figure it out what am i figuring out with her I have a little bit of outside yeah. knowledge because the way that it's written, I can clearly tell that like Blanche knows something that she doesn't, but it's written with enough nuance that I'm on the yeah. edge of my seat every time, every time she spirals, I'm like, what is she going to learn each time? And like each time a little bit more reveals. Yeah. And it's interesting because she knew, well, she thought she was going to 
stay at the guest house one evening and take off. A, but she missed the train. She she thought she was going to get on the train right away. And then they said, oh, you have to wait two days. And yeah. she was like, okay, no problem. Two days. I've got my two books. I can write letters. So the first little bit, she's she writes letters to her friends. And she's like, oh, my gosh, this is so relaxing. I can't believe how relaxing this is. This is awesome. Right. You so could imagine first, someone being right now being like, I'm off the grid and it's great. For the first two days. Right. But then the guy's like, yeah, no, the train's not going to come and we don't know how long it might and be. And even week. that interaction is so well written because it's an uh, Indian guy, I believe. At least that's the accent that was given to yeah, him. Yeah, and, so a- and so her... Scene yeah, no, that, they, like, so it's an Indian yeah, guy Indian. running the guest house, and then like I think people of Arab background like working there, and the levels of racism there. The book does such a good job of like showing, not telling, not reinforcing the racism, but you just experience it in her head, where she's just like, "Well, there's no one here because I'm the only white woman." <laughs> like there's there's humans, but they don't count right. because. They're brown men and they serve me. So, like, she could have just gone and like, made friends with the guy running the guest house and, like, got drinks with him and, like, avoided this whole spiral. But because he's not a human to her, she's trapped alone because, like, she's alone because she's the only human there because she doesn't see the other humans there as human. And I feel like the book shows that. Like, it, I didn't feel like the book dehumanized. Right, him like she only she doesn't interact with like I think the other like Arab people working there are like are younger or children or whatever but like he's an adult and she's an adult and he's like I'm so sorry you know in his accent like this is what's going on in his very like uh, you know self-effacing you know platitudes kind of way but like she never's like hey man we're stuck here together like you know you want to play some cards like she could have done that she could have done that and the book doesn't dehumanize him but she dehumanizes him because all she allows him to do is serve her she does at one point ask him what do you do around here right he's like do again and he kind of comes off as this is end master because he's like i just i just be and she's like gross (laughs) be i have to like and that's how i feel not to be that that i one i feel like other people are inhuman but the, like stillness bothers me i have i have and the pandemic taught me a lot because i had to learn to make peace with like being alone in my apartment and just being which is something that's not always been easy for me it's just like stop just just exist without being busy because busyness keeps us from thinking and so um i didn't like it as much as you do clearly um <laughs> I'm raving. I'm raving. And you're like, eh. Well, I mean, it did keep me on the edge of my seat. I wanted to know if she was going to figure out, you know, my favorite thing right now is the, am I the asshole thread? That's a Reddit thread. I don't even on Reddit, but like, there's enough of those that come up because I love media that trickles up to us old people. Right. Like Reddit and, and, uh, TikTok. Yeah. The TikTok and things. So like, can like get to us like like just like um things on a uh, tumblr used to <laughs> right trickle up to me <laughs> so like because the right. she I, has to figure out that she's the asshole and she gets there right 
Um, so basically, so- oh, so the other plot, so you gave the, the basic plot summary. Uh-huh. The other plot summary is like, while she's there spiraling, she figures out that one, her husband was in love with this other woman for like years and not the sexy girl that was throwing herself at her husband, but like a matronly woman who's like not well off and all the things down the street, but like is a sweet person and then died. And her husband basically had like not an emotional affair because he's a good guy, but basically, yes, he was in love with this whole other woman and when she died, he was heartbroken, and Joan chose not to see all of it. So she figured that out. And she figured out that her daughter, the one she just visited, had an affair on her husband. And the only reason she married young was to escape from her mother. She married young, went, you know, like to Iraq with her husband, then cheated on him. And did she have an abortion? No, she tried to kill herself. She tried to kill herself. Yeah, I knew there was something. Yeah, so I'm sorry, I didn't re- read it as recently. So like, but when you're so the reason I'm, I was wondering don't that say is like that out loud. I mean, like, cause but yeah, but like, you, you can tell something health happened. So you're like, oh, did she get an abortion? It didn't go well, or no, she tried to kill herself. Well, basically, she cheated on her husband because she was the, like basically an 18 or 19 year old who got married and was you know like just like, and then like cheated on her husband and then tried to kill herself and actually we don't even know if she cheated there was this one guy who was a older guy who preys on women and then he preyed on her and he left because that's what he does he's one of those cads who goes from town to town and like is right charming and then um and he left so we don't even know if she actually had an affair or if he they were just doing the preliminary flirting stuff and then he left and then Right. But basically she, I'm going to say she cheated with this guy. He left and then she tried to kill herself. And her husband is such a good guy that he was like sticking with her. And then like her mom found out and was like, my daughter is ill. I won't think about why. I right. will go and, and they never, her. Yeah. I don't even know. And she then the never... third thing she figures out is that they didn't want her there the whole time. The whole time. Because what she was telling herself at first is that they wanted her to stay. They were so glad she came. They kept ex- asking her to extend her trip. But what really happened was what often happens with like those things where you're saying one thing out loud, but you mean the opposite. And right. so she was able to figure out, my daughter didn't want me to come. She's much closer to her father. She didn't want me and my respectability politics to show up here. And I made everything worse. And they were so happy when I left. And she figured out those three big things. And that well, thing with the younger daughter, with the other daughter, that basically like everybody hates me and I'm the... I'm a stick of my ass and nobody can stand me. And, and it took her, because what how she figured this out is she would tell these word-for-word recreations of conversations she had with her daughters, her husband, all these people in these moments, and she would repeat them over and over and go, and the first time we got to hear them, she's the hero. Right. But then the person we're reading will one conversation that she told that I realized that she was such a jerk is that her husband really, really wanted to become a farmer. Oh yeah. And he said, I want to become a farmer. Let's go get this farm. And she was like, no, you don't become a lawyer in the family firm. Like you're supposed to, and just bullied him into doing that. Right. And, and all and he, and he, his, he was so unhappy his whole life. Because he wanted to be a farmer, but she's like, no, go into your father's practice. And he was always miserable and always hated it. And he basically, his daughters loved him 
but his daughters knew that he was never happy because he wanted to be a farmer, but he was a lawyer. And and so like she recreates these entire conversations. And as soon as we hear the conversations, we're like, oh my God, he's miserable because all he ever wanted to do. And then she Right, and the first you're right. So the first time we hear it, we see that she's a jerk, but she's still telling herself that she's great. And by the end, she realizes that she's the jerk. Like you said, like, am I the asshole? She by the by the fourth telling of the story or the extension of it, the next scene, she's like, Oh God, he wanted to be a farmer and I forced him to be a lawyer and he was never happy and he hated his life. And um like him uh like she was like, oh, I need to go home to take care of him. He's going to be so lost without me. Oh, hi, Sushi. Um, and because all he'll do is go talk to farmer and have dinner with that one farmer. And it's so boring and he needs me. And then the first time you hear that, like it's the very beginning of the book. But then after you realize that all he wants to do is talk about farming, of course yeah. he's going to be. And then the one thing when she realizes that after he takes her to the train and walks away, he's happier when he walks away from the train after she left. Right. When she was getting on the train to go visit his daughter and he's walking away, like his, like there was a weight off his shoulders. And she's, cause she talks about how when he walked away, he reminded her of when she first met him. And that young man, and then she was like, oh, it's like he had a weight taken off his shoulders. Oh, shit. I'm not a weight, am I? No, that couldn't be true. And so she, like, that's an example of how she kind of, like, starts to realize that maybe she was a drag on people. And she was like, my daughters love me. And then she starts recreating, like, retelling all these conversations with her daughters. And her daughters hate her. Or not hate her, but, like, they're not fond. And um, right, because everything for her is about respectability and looks, and like she forced her husband to be in, a, even a, the whole career that he's in, and he was like, "It's a great way to raise kids on a farm." And she's like, "We have to get the best of the best of the best of the, all the monies, so be a lawyer." And then he was a miserable person who would just like be looking out, wishing he was a lawyer all day, or wishing he was a farmer all day. And then the woman so, that he. Was a woman whose husband uh, stole, like embezzled, went to prison. And she had two sons. And so she, for a while, was living with her sons, taking care of them by herself. And the reason they all knew her is because he was representing her. And then her husband got out of prison and came home. And then they were living together. And they were actually pretty happy, even though her that husband who had been in prison was still not in great shape and then she got like cancer yeah she got cancer yeah and died and basically i think when her husband was in prison she and our main character's husband bonded and basically fell in love and nothing ever happened and there's this scene that we keep coming back to where he she sees her husband sitting next to this totally non-threatening woman who's old looking and poor and gross and all the things and so I saw my husband sitting next to this person, but they were sitting like five feet away and there was nothing going on there. And then like by the end of the book, she sees that they're sitting five feet away because they're so in love with each other that they like would fall into each other's arms if they sat any closer because they're just like 
that was, you know, that sort of almost like a crouching tiger, hidden dragon thing where it's just like, I love you, but I can't be with you. And so she what? observed this scene and she didn't let herself know that it meant that they were in love because this woman wasn't like more attractive or more la-di-da or all the things. She was just like a real person that her husband fell in love with because he was seeking a real person and his wife is all performance. Yeah, and so it it's very... My one thought after I finished the whole book was, oh my God, this is the most British book ever. See, I don't even see it as British. I literally, I mean, I don't see it not as British, but <laughs> contradiction. But like in that all whole, terms. I guess it's because I've read enough stories where, like, like the I love you, but I'm never going to do anything about it because of honor. So I'm just going to sit quietly and suffer. Right. I mean, I guess, yeah. I mean, I guess that's not an American culture, but there's a lot of traditional cultures, like I guess British culture or, you know, the, you know, Crouching Tiger, like Chinese culture. Like there's a lot of like traditional cultures where people will stand on principle. Like right. versus like us, like modern American culture. We're like, it makes me happy. Move. I'll do anything. Which is more Blanche, but yeah. Um, and then... I guess the other reason that I thought it was British is she does, so by day four, it actually wasn't that long. I mean, it was like by day two, she's like, wait, I have to stay there forever. And by day four, had because the only way she was able to entertain herself. Which I totally would too. If you left me for four days at a train station with no smartphone, by day four, I've either had a breakthrough and I've solved some major problem in my field or in like, you know, advanced mathematics that i didn't even study or <laughs> i've gone off the deep end like i'm calling so, you and like talking to you about like some fight we had when i was in the third grade like i've gone like if you leave me in my brain alone for four days that is not yeah no ethical and so it's day four and it's she like the only way she was able to entertain herself was to go for walks but it's the desert, and so it's like... It's literally like the pandemic! I identified so much! I was like, oh, I gotta go on another walk, because that's all there is to do, is go on a walk. <laughs> so day four, she goes on a walk, and she can't find the guest house, and she's, like, freaking out. Right. And she's, like... like well, she goes on a walk so far that she can't see where she is, and, like, yeah, and she thinks she's lost forever. hallucinating, and she's, like, the lizards are popping up, and a lizard popping up represents uncomfortable thought but by day four she's like oh my god no one likes me my husband doesn't like his job i forced him to do it he's been it was in love with leslie that was the name of the woman yeah my um, daughters both i i have I, not just they hate me because like that sounds too like wallowing but like she has this moment where she's just like i'm making everyone's life worse right she has this very like transcendent like because I feel like it's easy when you have a moment of like, I'm the asshole where you're just like spiral into like, I'm a bad person, but she was able to see like, Oh, here's what I was missing. Here's where I'm being toxic. I'm going to fix everything. Which, you know, and that was the part that was keeping on the edge of the seat. It was like, is she going to figure this out? And she did, but it was like, you know, like there was day, you know, quite a while of her, like, as you said, spiraling around, I'm figuring this out. Um, and that part, so one of my least favorite books was The Catcher in the Rye. Did you have to read that in high school? Yeah, but I don't remember it past the racism. 
So it's like a 15-year-old white boy. I definitely who, was like freshman year, and I was like, this feels like a lot of N-words, and I don't remember anything more than that. So it's a 15-year-old boy who, it's a it's a train of thought of a 15-year-old boy, which turns out is a lot of penises um, of sexual obsession. You know, like, I work with 15-year-old boys. It's not pretty. And... <laughs> Um, and it's also like trains of thoughts of people aren't pretty. They just aren't, right? Trains of thoughts, uh, trains of thoughts of myself aren't pretty, right? Like, it's like, I wonder about this. Oh, I wonder about this. What does my chin look like? My chin looks horrible. Right. Why is like it a, doing that? Like, yeah, like a, a, a throw situation where you're like, well, that's happening. Yes. Yeah. And so like nobody, you nobody like, and so that this is her train of thought thing was keeping me on the edge of my seat but also driving me crazy in that way where I was just like oh my god you know like you know and then she figures it out and then right after that where she gets back to the guest house and the guy's like guess what the train's coming and she thought it might be many more days because she had no right. sign that it was going to end and he's like oh yeah the train's coming it's been four days and um, and so she's like, "What? Oh, you know." And so she gets on the tra- train, and then and she, yeah, gets, and she gets on the train, like ready to go home and like make right with her daughter and make right with her husband. Like she gets on with like, "I'm gonna do it," and she's gonna say, "I'm sorry." She's gonna. That's what her thing. She's is. gonna I'm apologize, gonna say, right? Sorry. She's she's realized like I'm the asshole, and she's not doing it in the like. I'm the asshole, so everyone pity me because I feel bad. No, she's like, no, I was the asshole. I'm going to make right. I'm going to go in and I'm going to apologize. You know, and it's like, I'm sorry I made you do a job that you hated. I'm sorry that I, you know, and didn't let you marry the man you loved or whatever to her daughter's like all that stuff all the things that like a respectability person would be toxic to everyone around them. She's going in to like apologize for all those things. Oh, she was right about that the man she loved because she wanted to marry this guy who was like 20 years older than her that's true and it was the father who like talked her out of it using law and logic oh there was another thing by the way that daughter the um older daughter should have been a lawyer and they referenced like if she was a man she would have been a lawyer they said that a couple of times just threw it out there and it kind of like oh yeah if she was a man she would have been a lawyer that's too bad and it just that was just infuriating just me in 2023 going really really we're just gonna leave it that we're just gonna be like yes what are they supposed to do Portia and that's why I feel like you and I are differing on this and so like what we're on the verge of saying to you listener is that what happens is she goes home intending to do better and by the time she gets to her daughter and by the time she gets to her husband she's re-brainwashed herself and she's just like respectability blah 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 and she's right back to where she was and it's almost like flowers for algernon almost but and I, which again that's pretty a weird ableist book and i'm i haven't even like re-examined that like from an adult because i only read that as a child and like i'm not trying to say that like using that as a benchmark for anything but like where someone like has a realization then loses it right and so so I apologize if that's offensive to people because that's a weird ableist book. But, but like in sort of the sort of like she she like the shield comes down then it goes back up. But like what I liked about that ending was if she had gone and done the right thing, it would have been so fucking unrealistic. That doesn't happen. And like 
we are the the grandchildren of a very controlling we're the grandchildren of this woman true our grandmother was this person like and not necessarily from a family like this where our grandmother had a really nice mom and two sisters who were not necessarily like that in the same way that she was right this this character was our grandmother and i just would have found it so unrealistic if she had just gone home and like cutesy it's all fine now i'm sorry because it doesn't happen and that's why i liked it because i think if if we got the closure that the book made us crave it would have made life disappointing so the fact that maybe behind closed doors our our version of this was named june maybe behind closed doors she had those moments and then she still went back to her like social because like our like that persona that who you play in public is and like again she's supposed to be let's say 45 50 you know our grandmother was you know grandmother age like you don't change that even if you in the in the end of her life you know she got warmer but like she never said hey sorry for fucking all my kids up because of my weird respectability stuff like it just doesn't happen and if it happened in the book it would have felt i would have felt like unrealistic you know like rainbows and butterflies unicorns outcome like i like the fact that it hurt in the book because it hurts in real life yeah and it I think- felt so real and, and I- that's why i loved it because she had this journey and then just like decided to like because and again, when I'm the asshole, it's so hard to know that. And that's why, again, bringing back to the racism piece, that's why white women struggle with the things we do wrong in society because it's hard to know that, right? It's hard to live in the space that I'm the asshole and most of us can't tolerate it. Who can tolerate? Like, I like to be respectability in the way that respectability exists in my world. And if I did something problematic, then I'm going to try to justify it to myself it's just not realistic that I'd be like, I'm the asshole. Let me be contrite about that. Like, that's not what we do. And so and I, I love the fact that she had the moment and then was like, I can't tolerate it. I like, she had the moment by herself. This is what we have. And we go to therapy or we do whatever. And we like have the moment of like, Oh shit, the thing I don't want to know, but now I know it. And then you go back into the world and your brain's like, I can't tolerate knowing that. And I just won't know it. And that's our brains do that to protect us. I just felt it was so real. And if if she had gone home and been like, "I'm so sorry, husband. You should have been a farmer. Let's be happy now. I'm a new person." It just would have been like, it would have been like a gross, saccharine ending that doesn't exist. Okay, so what that's would, why I like okay. I like the pain of it because that's what okay. real life is. Okay, go. You go. You go. You go. I'm sorry. I'm done. So. What's interesting is both her daughter and her husband were like, something's different about her. But then we're like, never mind, because, and I think, right. And I think the, what we like to do is that we all want to be the heroes of our own. When nobody wants to be the villain. And so she goes, oh my gosh, I made this mistake. And then she goes back and sees him and it's comfortable and it's wonderful. And she does love him. And she says teasingly, yeah, it was totally okay that I pushed you to be a lawyer. So glad I were, but the way she's doing it, like, please tell me. Right? Because she doesn't, by the time she gets 
She doesn't want to say, oh, I'm the villain. I should apologize. Because, yeah, nobody wants to live with that kind of realization. She says, oh, don't you remember where I pushed you to be a... Wasn't that better? It's okay. So she doesn't have to ask for forgiveness. Which is the white woman thing that we do. <laughs> what white women do is ask the world to tell us that we're not the villain. Like It's just so true. <laughs> it's just well, so I think accurate. Everybody wants to be the villain. Of, nobody wants to be the villain yeah, of any saying, story. Like, the white women are famous for it. <laughs> and for reasons. No, because like... Yeah, and, and I, I honestly do think there is a white woman thing to it that like maybe white women and British and American alike have a low tolerance for being the bad guy. I'm always right. the victim. Yeah. Right? I'm always the one with the right. upper, with the moral high ground. Like that's what we are trained. Right? Like right, and that right. that's yeah. the thing with the Karen's is they always want to have the moral high ground. Yeah. And we can't yeah. and that's what we can't like as a group, white women cannot tolerate being like, oh hey, my bad. I read this wrong. <laughs> right that's the whole thing with the karens right yeah yeah and because I, I wonder if if she had at the end because you're right if she had been like i'm so sorry to both her daughter and her husband that would have been unrealistic and we wouldn't have bought it I mean, maybe I, like I was that. craving that as well i was craving that but when it didn't happen i was like you know what you're right because i didn't get that from june mom well i didn't need it from june mom needed that from june mom didn't get that from june so this book shouldn't give it either and maybe the book should like maybe you want the fictionalized book to give you the thing you never got but i also think watching june have the journey and then not give it to you is in some ways therapeutic because it show it's reflective of the life that you lived and you're like i'm not crazy that bitch was crazy (laughs) and she wouldn't let herself admit it and she never got stuff at a train station for four days i just felt like if it had happened it would have been like you know i don't know like i could see the you know choose your own adventure version where she does the whole thing and is contrite but well, like it just we... feels unrealistic and saccharine and like a 1983 movie and this was like of you know in a complex well and i think what more... i was looking go ahead wasn't quite that what I was looking for was something very subtle where she shifted something where she dealt with her daughter had a little bit because her daughter where she was a little bit more humble and her daughter was like whoa and then but then she kind of like went back because her daughter reacted like in a different way and I remember my therapist telling me once that, like, when you try to change your behavior, people react badly because they're going to be like, that's different. Um, yeah. And so, like, she did something that was a little bit more, like, humble because she was not known for being humble. She was known for being incredibly, like, I did all the things. I'm wonderful. And she said something humble and her daughter reacted in a way. And then she, she went back because she was like, oh, oh, I should go back to doing the thing. And I guess... I was looking for when she got back to her husband and, and maybe you're right. This would have been too much of a happy ending, but something where she didn't 
say out loud, I'm sorry, because that would be unrealistic, where she did something subtle, something subtle, like that. I don't know what it right. is. And, and I, I think you're right. Like that would have been a third choose your adventure that would have been very satisfying as a reader. Something where like go visit the but farmer like, dude. But like she's like she goes back to her old patterns, which is very realistic, like because it's right. scary and to that's, get out and of I, I felt the frustration of her going back to her old pattern very satisfying in a like this is why we go to therapy because you're you know what I mean like the people you're interacting with are going to continue to be consistent so you have to just learn to manage yourself and like you can't expect the abuser in your life to have a big aha moment like she's the abuser and she's not going to have a big aha moment and like she almost did and she still went back to her behavior patterns and that's what's going to happen I don't know, well, and, and I, I, wonder- I agree. I wish she had gone back and been like, "Wink, go talk to the father." I, I, I also craved that, but I felt like the letdown of that was very reinforcing of my therapy experience. That like, you're right, that's not going to happen. And so, like, stop wishing for that. And I feel like if it had happened, that it would have reinforced to therapy, Amanda, keep wishing for that. And that's the thing right. I liked about it. Is it like Dad's not going to stop drinking? Right right like there's never going to be the moment where dad's like oh i can't believe i'm choosing death over getting to know my grandchildren he's never going to have that moment right like people are going to especially people 15 up (laughs) are going to do what they're doing right and so we just have to say like dad is going to choose alcohol over us and it doesn't mean that it takes a like i mean like he may have had moments of clarity and he's going to go back like, that's why I loved it, because it was just so life. But that's because I didn't, because it was like the 28 year old in me who wants, like, but dad's going to change and mom's going to change and I'm going to, like, I can change me. That's the only person I can change. And like, so I didn't read her as myself. I read her as the people I right, interact, right. people I talk to, right. up to, people I go to therapy to talk about. <laughs> right, right. Right. But, why I read books to escape I read to solve a murder mystery of a bunch of people that I'm never going to meet you know and so like yeah and this yeah and so that's why because yeah because this wasn't an escape in many ways it was an escape for her she was stuck in her own brain and then um you know and so that's I think why you know because it was a good book I was on the edge of my sheet I was curious if she would get there I was curious is very like this is how life works um but you know like i like to read books too and so that i like it's not as i you know um, funny because mom always recommends books that are like really depressing history books (laughs) i read to teach about because that's what I do in my day job is to teach about depressing history. But then she's like, don't you want to read this for fun? And she'll give it to me for Christmas. And I'll be like, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Yeah. I so I not. get that. I get why I totally, when you said you didn't like it, I totally understood why, because when she doesn't do the thing you want her to do at the end, you're like, 
god damn it but then i i just yeah I, yeah and i can see why you know like it, it was very therapeutic and i could definitely see that um and you're right because if if it had turned out the saccharine ending it would be not therapeutic and and pointless like you know what i mean like <laughs> you know and so like uh, but um I, I, I would have liked it more and respected the author less if it had been like, and then she went back and she was nice to her husband and she told her daughters that she accepts them and that everybody can be a queer, pansexual, non-binary. And it's all fine. <laughs> you know, like, I just... Well, and I wonder, because, like, is this everywhere, everything all at once? It totally is. Except for, like, that... That book get, takes us to the place we want to go. Well, so only funny. after arts expert and, you know. Right, you have to live in multiple universes and there's like a, you know, a butt plug fight scene and all the things. You There's a lot to get to, that breakthrough. But it happens. It's funny, we were just watching like a thing about that today. Actually, fascinating. We were watching a thing today about the, how, um, uh Weymouth's character is a demonstration of um non-toxic masculinity because traditionally and I never thought about this I never thought about this as it comes to, to that movie but how in a traditional movie he's a weak husband and the wife's domineering and by the end he's punched her in the face or he's been like I stand up to you and now I'm an alpha male but like this movie reinforces actually his being a supportive sweet guy is the right answer and he's like he doesn't have a character arc because he just stays the same nice guy and she has to change and come around and be like actually it's great to have a nice guy husband and 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 how fascinating that is because like normally that sort of they called it a beta male in the analysis i was watching is a bad thing it's a bad thing to be this like weak ass husband and she he's got to learn to like stand up for himself but he never stands up for himself he just keeps being a nice person and like his nice person strategy is like what gets her to like have her breakthrough and then she can come to his level and be like hey you know it was really interesting like that 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 demonstration of like of the the and 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 so she's the one that has the breakthrough there and like right so like her character I forget her name in the movie michelle yale in the movie but like she yeah, she has the moment that this book doesn't have where she actually gets there like right where like she... although and then even then she fucks it up because i remember apologizing to her daughter and she was still being so judgy of her daughter where, <laughs> like, i apologize I to you like, but you're fat and you shouldn't your partner's there's too like, long or whatever oh it is like <laughs> Right, because her daughter was getting in the car and she was apologizing and she was like, I'm still going to say that you're fat. And I'm just like, woman, would you just stop this? Right. I remember being so... But that's the yeah. thing, right? Like, is that... Is that moms don't change and we have but to change. But, like, this is everywhere. Well, her daughter turned into a psycho killer who was going to suck in the entire universe with an everything bagel. So, you know... Um, such a good movie. Such a good movie. It's such a good movie. Um, but um, which I love the fact where I was like, "Is that a bagel? Is 
about an everything bagel <laughs> and the googly eyes. It's like the everything. But the by the way, the butt plug fight scene. It's the best thing I've ever seen. Like, it's oh my god! You're just saying advice, and like this movie that's such a like think piece on existence, and also has like such like again like the ridiculousness of the butt plug fight scene. <laughs> and the fingers, and Jamie Lee Curtis is the best ever. Such like, a treasure. It's so good. Anyway, um, but this is everything, everywhere, all at once. Except for instead of four days by herself, Michelle Yeoh gets transported I'm to multiple so universes. I'm so glad you brought this up because I think that everything, everywhere, all at once. Because like this movie is about mothers and daughters at the end of the day. Like, okay, right. husband being right. unsatisfied, fine. But like, it's about mothers and daughters and the way we let our mothers down, right? Like, that's why the pain of this book is so acute when we read it because it's like, we feel that, right? And again, the partner stuff is big too. Like the, the the pain between her and her husband is real, but also the pain between her and her daughters and like her her daughters not living up to what she expects of them. And so like you're right. This is a direct this is an an such a direct ancestor of everything everywhere all at once in terms of that mother daughter pain. And like I want the best for you, but what the best for you is what I think is respectable versus what makes you happy. But all of that like it it is such an ancestor of that movie but in the in the everything everyone once we get that satisfying ending without it being trite because they work so hard to get us there without it being trite but i think at this point in history without the bagel without the butt plugs i don't know if she could have got there without it being trite like i appreciated the pain of this ending like and no, i understand and I why you didn't want to read it but I and you're so, you're so right to bring that up that movie up as a as a descendant. Yeah, no, I mean because it's it's a good book. It was on the edge of my seat. You're in terms of like it's therapeutic. June uh, never apologized know, to Mom and Jennifer. She never apologized. Like June to changed. She never. She did change a little. She got warmer at the end of her life, and maybe 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 what you saw with June was what the wink that you wanted from this book because yeah but but after her past june changed enough that i could see it but mom couldn't see it because mom never got what she needed and jennifer never got what she needed like right and she wasn't warmer in the sense that i was gonna like open up to her like you know no she she never got less mean a little Right. And she never got not homophobic. She never got not like, yeah, I mean, she was never. And so, but you're right. Like, I mean, in terms of like people, people have breakthroughs amongst themselves, taking that breakthrough and changing your own behavior once you have the breakthrough. And that's the part which I think is interesting because you can have a breakthrough and be like, I'm going to go into the world now. And then you go to the world and the world says, you're this and you're like oh yeah i'm that never mind right and you're so right to bring that up because you're right she was so ready to to be different and then when her family patterned back into their patterns it sent her back into her patterns and that's exactly true too and it's fascinating to me that agatha christie did that without the evolution of the field of psychology and social work to today because i feel like I don't know in the 1940s if they had gotten there where it's like, hey, 
all you can change is yourself. Like, because like, right. and the whole like triangles are forever and your family is going to go back into its same dynamic. Even if you try to change, your family is going to behave as if you haven't changed and it's going to be hard to change. Even if you're the one who needs to change. And that's what happens to her is that they, they're just like, huh, I'm going to play the other role of this and wait for you to fall in line with the role that you play. And then she does. And that's something that I learned in therapy. Right. What? And yeah, I feel Ooh, like yeah. it's a very modern concept, mm-hmm. but she demonstrates it. She does this, the show not tell thing of like, huh, even when you're intending to change, you fall back into old patterns. And she just like demonstrates it so gorgeously. She does. She totally does. Um, and yeah. And so it. that's, well, <laughs> I, pre- I both, it's a good book. It kept me on the edge of the seat. It was therapeutic. All of those things are true. I want to say to the, prefer- to the listener that Portia was like, we're not going to have enough to talk about about this book. And I'm like, all right, let's see. <laughs> She's like, we were going to talk about this for like 17 minutes. And I was like, okay, maybe. Well, because <laughs> nothing happened. Like, I told you the plot. I told you the plot. Nothing <laughs> happened. Nothing happened. Okay, speaking of which, I think uh, based on our recording time and how we know it goes, um, I think it's time for a little break. Okay, yeah. And if, if we and so let, let's take a little break and then we'll come back. Okay, all right. Hello, we're back. We're back. All right. I waited till after we came back for you to see the mug that I'm using. Oh my god, that's like early 80s blazers mug yeah it says blazers are great in like very early 80s uh and then like it's in the in the in the shape of the state of oregon yeah i'm always always joking about not being out from being from oregon but look at me openly using this mug (laughs) on an audio format that no one can see me (laughs) in my apartment with no one here Oh, and the majority of our listeners are not in the the states, but okay. Yeah, you're very bold and out. Very bold and out about my Oregon uh, uh, origins. What are you? What is that? Okay, so this is a little bit of um, vanilla ice cream with my um, uh, health sodas, but you know they discontinued the grapefruit one that I love so much. Well, that's why I offered you when you came for Christmas. They were on the top, and you didn't have any. I had a whole <laughs> box of them. <laughs> yeah, so it's the orange uh, prebiotic poppy soda, um, which we're happy to be sponsored by. <laughs> the orange prebiotic poppy soda. Although, if you would bring back the grapefruit flavor, then I'm much more likely to be sponsored. Um, so yeah, I make basically made like a cream, cream orange soda situation. Nice. Okay. With it, I was. I've been trying to be good. But it is real vanilla ice cream. Okay. Back to the situation. I loved it. You hated it. I didn't hate it. Okay. I, did I say? I never said I hate it. I just Okay. So what are your feelings? Let's get to the scale. I just said that's not why I read books. Because um, like. Okay. Right now, I mean, over the summer, when everything was hard, and, you know... Yes, I would not have enjoyed reading this over the summer. Absolutely not. I was reading 
the Franny Fisher series from beginning to end. And the most recent one I can't find anywhere, by the way. They have one more. I've read everything except for the last one and can't find it. So I don't know if it hasn't been published in the U.S. yet. It's only in Australia or what. But the Franny Fisher is total escapism. 1920s murder mystery with this gorgeous woman who wears gorgeous clothes. And, and always her. wins. And always wins. And, and always has a moral high ground. Never a question. And gets to have lots of great sex. I mean, it's like all of the escapism in one thing. Everything we want, yes. And then the last month, I have rewatched Psych. Did you ever watch Psych back? What a delight. Love Psych. What I rewatched the entire thing, including episodes that I missed because back then, like you had to watch it like on TV when it was on, right? <laughs> yeah. So, and I realized that I was like, "Oh, I missed this one because that was the weekend I kicked my ex-husband out." <laughs> like it was like those days. Oh dang! Yeah. Yeah. Um, like the Psych the musical came out in the first weekend of December of 2013, which was literally right after I kicked out my husband and I didn't watch it. I didn't watch it till now. It's Psych the musical. It's both Psych and a musical. You would think I, I did not realize that that was a thing. I didn't watch it that deeply. But yeah, so I went and watched that. Um, and so I've enjoyed that immensely. And I actually, I did not realize they started making movies about it. They I did? They made the first movies, movie. plural. There's been three. The first one came out in 2018. Uh, I did not know this. Um, and um, so like it ended in 2014. The first movie came out in 2018. So I watched that one because it's on Amazon Prime. But then the next two are only on Peacock. And I, <laughs> and of course. The only way that I could watch them is to subscribe to Peacock. You cannot buy them. I'm like, can I just pay $2? All right. No, no I have to pay five to... bucks a month in order to watch these two movies. And they're talking about making a fourth. Oh my gosh. I did not realize there was movies. Yeah. And the, 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 the second one came out in 2020. Like it was filmed in 2019. Um, and then the third one came out in 2021. Like, it would be, like, those guys now. Like, and they are us. I mean, because they are also, like, they're just a few, you know, they're a little yeah, bit they're older our age. Than younger than me. Yeah. And so all of their 80s references. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so anyway, so that is total and complete escapism and i realize that this is a failing of mine i am i <laughs> asshole that i want to escape through what i read and watch no i get that i get that because that's why i don't like shonda rhymes work and not that i don't respect her i think she's a genius but like i think i've said this on the podcast before but like i like a very i like a trope that you stick to like i like a yeah, everything. And what Shonda Rhimes does is create murder she wrote, and then like have Jessica Fletcher get pregnant or something. Like, like, like it's like she makes a trope and then she disrupts it. And like, it's so smart and it hurts me. I want, <laughs> I want, I want, I want 
this happens, this happens, resolution, right? Like, I, I yeah. like formula, and the formula is what makes me happy, and it's like, just follow the formula. Let's do House Hunters. Right. But it's a murder mystery. Let's do House Hunters, but it's like, you know what I mean? Like, it's the follow the formula, and so, like, I totally understand why you hate this because it's like the same I never reason, said like, hate it. No, but I'm saying like I like watching Scandal, but they're like when Scandal was like, oh my God, there's a political thing and we're solving it and then it's resolved. I loved it. And then when she disrupted the trope and like shit went off the rails, I'm like, what the hell is this? I don't have I can't tolerate this much. I have stress in my actual life. Why are we doing this? Like I have enough cortisol in my system based right. on like not trying to get fired from my regular job i don't want cortisol for my entertainment so that i get that that's such a great way of saying it by the way because i never understood why people watch soap operas because soap operas did all this like and then there were twins and then somebody killed and then there was like a, i was in, and i was like Life is stressful enough. Life is stressful enough. Why are we Why doing do you... this for entertainment? Yeah, like what? Yeah. Right, so like entertainment has hit that sweet spot of like enough stress to make it interesting, but enough resolution that it's like better than real life. And that's what this doesn't give you is that it's just like not better than real life because it's it ends up like with the frigid matriarch that we already have <laughs> you didn't need another frigid matriarch who doesn't change you already have one <laughs> right like i mean because i knew enough to know that i would uh, i remember that was one scene where she was she was like i'm a really good mother and then the daughters were like you don't put to give give us a bath nanny does that you don't put us to bed nanny does that and she was like no but i supervise you, right. I, you don't cook the meals cook does that right and we were talking about we've talked a couple of times in these books about these upper class people that Agatha Christie writes books about and what it would be like to have that much help and I really wonder about the relationship with your children wait when you're just supervising their caregiving but you're not giving the care well, and yeah, because of because I really now, having had children, believe in the whole like you can't do this by yourself shit. You really can't. <laughs> oh my god, you know, like you know, and so, and that's why I I'm so glad that I'm able to have somebody help me during the days we were able to have somebody help clean our house once a month. Oh my gosh. I ran into a friend of mine and she was like, we have our house cleaned every two weeks. And I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> you know? And of course in the Agatha Christie books, they have a housekeeper who does things every day. Yeah. You know, like it's such a, but it's, it's an interesting thing to think about. Like when you have a village to help you raise your children, what are the parts that you do? You know what I mean? What are the parts that make you the mom or make, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I was thinking about that when she was doing that, because there's a lot of guilt about, you know, that little scene about nanny does that really. I, I started thinking about, okay, 
you know, like, where do you, where's the line between I'm having a village help me and. Ooh, wow. Yeah. That's something to think about. And I'm making. Outsourcing my parenting. Right. right. Yeah. Um, what is that line? You know, like what is important for you to be the parent? What is important? Oof. Um, so, you know, like, um, so I thought about that because she clearly was a well-off woman. Mm-hmm. Never. And then she forced her husband to be a, a lawyer, not a farmer. So she could outsource, outsource her parenting. Um, if he had been a farmer, she would have had to raise her kids herself. Right? Like, it's all related. Yeah. I wonder, because I get the sense that she always had a series of means. So even if they were a farmer, I'm guessing she wouldn't have been doing it by herself. But, you Maybe, know. But still, you see how that's related, right? Like, yeah. uh, we have to be, you have to be a lawyer so that we can afford to pay all the help that I need. But I need all the help so that I can be fancy, right? Like. Yeah. And at the, by the way, the very end of the book we do get to hear from her daughter's point of view and the husband's point of view very end of the book yeah and it was true that there were things remind me because i haven't i didn't reread it right before this so remind me what happens with that well he kind of reviews like that he was in love with the leslie person but also he does review like it was really important to him and joan that their kids have the best opportunities So there were quite a few things that he was in accordance with her. Yeah. You know, and so it was interesting, like. Right. And he didn't make her out to be a total villain because it wouldn't make sense if he did. Right. Um, That he loved Leslie, but I think he also loved Joan, you know. Yeah. In her way. In her way, even if she was a burden to him. So, um, anyway, so I, cause there was a, his interior monologue where he was talking to Leslie about something and he was like, I want my kids to have the best opportunities and Joan and I have, it's really important to us. And it was clearly very important to him. Yeah. You know? So, um, anyway, um, so yeah, that little scene, because we've talked about Agatha Christie's writing about class before um and what upper class means i think that's why i love this too i think that's one of the reasons i loved it is because it was it was an examination to me of like just everything you were just saying of class and again a show not tell of why are you paying someone to raise your children by forcing like you you have to force your husband to do a job he doesn't like so you can afford people to do the jobs of parenting so that you can sit in a pencil skirt and supervise that versus (laughs) if you let him be a farmer and you just give your kids a bath you don't have to pay for a staff to give your kids a bath you just do it yourself like right like it seemed like such an examination of the trappings of class. And I don't know. I just, I, I really. Well, and then it goes back to the, 
guy who ran the guest house because she was like, what do you do for fun? And he was like, I take care of the people who come to the guest house. And she was like, no, no, I need something more than that. You know, she wanted him to say something. Yeah. Um, and, but it's like, there's a um, privilege of what do you do for fun? Right. Um, like, what do you do outside of, yeah, there was a privilege in that. I can't remember. I was quite. Yeah, no, that the thing that like, for a lot of people who were just working, working is what you're doing and you don't have time to think about like, what am I doing for folly? Right. I go to work. I come home. I repeat. But, and maybe he does read books or play games or That's something. what I'm saying. Like, if she had had a different experience, she could have been like, hey, man, I'm trapped here. Well, you know, let's play cards. Let's, let's, let's talk about our childhoods together. Like, you know what I mean? Like, she didn't spend the time to bond with him. She did say, what, do you, what does one do here? But she didn't really get to know him. She didn't spend any time. She didn't say, hey. Like, she didn't break the boundary of, like, you're serving me. Yeah, and yeah. that was and the he was thing. the other adult person there. Like I feel like they kind of referenced the other people involved were kids or Yeah, she called him an Arab boy. Yeah. And she called him a, a bundle of rags. And that's one of the things that's just blows me away because one of the biggest things that's happened to me since I became a mother is that every child becomes my child in some scenarios like when they talk to parents and kids in stories or there's a freaking earthquake in Turkey and kids are dying and, and they're like every child I think about, Oh my God, that could be my child. Right. And, but the way she talks about a boy who works at this guest house. Yeah. No racism will afford you to not see every child as your child. Like that's how, you know, America got built. Because you can't. True, I guess, but I, you know, like, even, the, I, it's always so surprising to me where I'm just like, if you see a child in rags, your first instinct is let's make sure they aren't in rags. Like, it's yeah. just always so, like, surprising to me because that has happened to me so much. No, and, no, and I think that's, that's awesome. And I just think that, like, that's oh, what American, ra- and, you know, British American racism, um, it's actually it's good at is dehumanizing brown yeah. children. Or there is a um, puppying of children of color. They're they're cute when they're puppies, and then they're scary when they're adults. There's a puppy. But even that, right? Like that's yeah. not happening here. She didn't even have that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just you know it's actually kind of annoying in terms of my own hormones that I have noticed where I was like. Maybe every time they talk about a kid losing a parent or a parent losing a kid or something happening on NPR, I don't have to start bawling on my way home from work while I'm walking. <laughs> like it has happened more than once where I'm like bawling and I'm walking on Powell and thinking, okay, this is normal. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's a little bit, um, yeah, I blame. I our think it's hero. both you being a parent, but I also think that we are our father's daughters. And remember, there was like a moment, there was a day, and like after whatever day passed, Dad couldn't see a Kodak commercial without crying. 
Remember this? No, <laughs> but I believe like, it because, like, literally, because, like, and I feel like I remember the story I had in my head from then on till today was like he just repressed his emotions until whatever day at forty-seven and a half it just leaked out, and he was just like, "Now the most trite thing will make me emotional." Well, that was when and, his mom died, and I think that, like, that has happened to both you and I, where it's like, "I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine," you know, like I'm just like, oh, like, see, we just I... like held it together for so long, and now, like, literally, like you said, like the most, the any podcast, any story, any whatever, like I'm just in tears, and I'm like, "God damn it, Amanda, keep it together." be a man (laughs) and like i can't but like i feel like it's like an age thing for like this like emotions repressing culture where you're like i I can't repress it anymore so like something that's not that's just super sappy i cried i cried easily before but it was usually like happy tears like i could remember I could crying at commercials about fathers and daughters during weddings. I would cry. Like I can remember that post getting pregnant till now. It's not even like, Oh my God, we went and saw bluey the play. I (laughs) cried. I cried. (laughs) I cried at bluey. No. And I took my kids to, so I get teary at the slightest thing now, and I'm always like, "Shut up!" It's just a sweet moment between something really dumb and something else dumb. Stop it! And I'm just like, "Oh, I'm getting teary!" And I'm just like, "Oh, I have my father's utter." So, but it, for me, it and maybe you're right because, of course, I got pregnant at 47. So, like, I was just making up that age, but I definitely remember a time when, like, all of a sudden, Dad cried at every. And I think we were was it was the time of Kodak commercials. It was like it's a Kodak moment, and like Dad would just like start getting like super teary eyed and would be like, "This is awkward. Why is Dad being emotional?" And there's just like a family taking pictures, and now I'm that, and I'm pretty sure I'm the age he was then. Yeah, because for me, it was definitely pre-pregnancy, post-pregnancy. Because I also have noticed, like, I can't watch any show where any child is slightly close to being. Yeah, you mentioned you've mentioned that about like yeah, being a parent now and now it's it means something different, which I totally under I don't understand, but I imagine makes sense. So uh, this week um, on Tuesday, uh, Deb got a migraine on Tuesday, so I stayed home. And Tuesdays when the kids go to dance class. But this wonderful woman who has a dance class for three and four year olds, which means like, you know, she I I what that means. She was like, go to the dot and stop, and then go to the dot and stop. Okay, we're gonna lift our arms. They are. I mean, like this kind of patience, which I'm just like, oh my god, you are a saint. And I watched it and tried not to watch too much so the kids could be without me. And I was so getting teary because I was like, oh, my God, my kids are dancing. I'm so happy. And then then my uh, when I'm saying goodnight, I do a hug and a kiss and a kiss, kiss, kiss and a Zerbert. You remember Zerbert? Mm -hmm. And um, so we do all this like ritual. And then Sky started making up things that he wanted me to do. 
like making up sounds. He's like, and I want you to do a meh and a where, like that's the best. And then yesterday he said, I want you to do a plie. And I was like, a plie? And he goes, like in dance class. And I was like, well, I know what a plie is. And I did it. And he was like, blown away. <laughs> you know the terminology? And then Annika said, well, I want you to do a chasse. And I was like, oh, I'll do a chasse. <laughs> <laughs> You're speaking my language, babies. <laughs> yes. Yes. If you're not careful, just... you fuck around and I'll give you a ronde jambe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I gotta say, that is the best sentence I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> you fuck around and I'll give you a ronde jambe. <laughs> That is the best sense I've ever heard. <laughs> I want that to be on your tombstone. You fuck around, I'll give you a run to It's on my tombstone. Fuck around, I'll give you a run to jump. <laughs> oh, God. And that is something, I'm sorry, listeners. Amanda and I studied dance for years. And different ways and in different ways, you know, like... I've gotten more into choreography. Been, I hate but, choreography. I don't want to think. Choreography. I just, I didn't. I did. did I tell you? I told, I'm sure I told you this. I never did. I did. I was gonna do a dance minor, but I had to do like there was some sort of like choreography showcase, and I was like, I just would be faking it so aggressively. Like I don't know. I love choreography, and it's all like you know. Of course, anyone who's a dance major minor is like all modern dance. You're like jump like a fish. Jump, <laughs> jump with your head to the side and like do that weird forward like you know what I mean it's all like yeah and uh, Amanda loves ballet my favorite is jazz especially um, uh, jazz hands the person who did develop jazz like you know Fosse. like Fosse stuff yeah I loved Fosse stuff it was I, the beginning of our friendship yes it was so you um, Fosse workshop in DC. That was, wasn't that the first weekend of Portia. Yeah, it was a week right. of Portia. Week was, of Portia because yeah. you came for that, and like that was probably the very first time we'd spent that much time together as adults. Yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, so Abandon and I have a big dance background. So like, it, Kim, it's... Kim was still living here. Yeah, yeah. Kim was still living here. And so, like, yeah, we, uh, we all, that was like literally the beginning of our friendship. And that was and, like grown up friendship. Yeah. Which and would have uh, been, I'm going to say, I'm going to say 2004 or five, three, four, five, somewhere in there. I know which apartment there. I was in. Yeah. Because it was a while. Whenever I came to visit, you were in a different apartment each time. There was well, a that long time. That sounds really judgy, Joan. <laughs> People move. No, but I mean, there was I was in the Dorchester. You didn't visit me in the Dorchester, which is my first apartment here. And then there was an apartment I moved into after Dana went. So there was an apartment I moved into where you visited with. You visited once with Gordon, your ex. I'm so sorry to use their name. Um, but I lived in that one when I lived with my ex, Peace Corps. Right, I visited, but then you came for the Fosse thing when I was living in the in the apartment off H Street, which was would have been meant that Dana Gross, my ex, 
went to the Peace Corps. And you came, and then you had all those nodules in your IT, ITF. Okay, that sounds really gross. And let's explain <laughs> to the audience that A, you're a physical therapist, and B, that was my uh, shin. Was it my shin? No, no, your your lateral side, your TFL. It was like your like it was like your. Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had anyways, but like, so you came in that apartment. I was like living off. It was off H Street, and I don't know. You must have been in your relationship, but it was stable enough that you came to visit me. And like my partner was either in the Peace Corps, or we'd broken up, or whatever my weird status was. But I was living alone there, and you stayed with me there in that apartment that looked like a storefront. Kind of, yeah, 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 yeah. It used to be a storefront. I'm pretty sure it used to be a church. But it was and like I didn't mean things. to be judgy, because but it was interesting because there was a period of time where you were in a different place every time I visited, and then there was a period of time where you were in that same basement place for a long time, you know, like and so <laughs> after my divorce, <laughs> yeah, and then no, but also before, flirting lessons. <laughs> but then all yeah, and so but it, yeah, no, because you visited when I was in the, the place in Columbia in a. Uh, columbia heights you and your ex came yeah and then when you came for the fossey workshop was the first time you came alone and then i came several more times alone and it was yeah and i was in that basement and i was probably in that oh my second ex did you stay with me oh yeah i stayed with you a couple times because i came for conferences in that same apartment of H or did when in the other no it was a different one yeah you guys had a different one um and it was you and your second ex and it was the same one you were in when you got married to your second ex okay you stay with us Cersei. I've, I've wiped that memory because of yeah yeah oh. no I, I remember staying there okay a couple of times because I also have that place memorized because it was where you were when you got married um, okay yeah I, did, I didn't remember that you stayed there but yeah there's a lot of yeah. a lot happened in my brain in that place yeah, and then my ex came. And to then that. the place in the basement was after I when I was that was my like yeah getting my groove back right, <laughs> and that's when back. I was getting my groove back. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I'm sure we're gonna have to edit out all of the places that you stayed because people are gonna be like, so like I don't what I'm very <laughs> confused. <laughs> but um, ooh, Fossey, Fossey. But my point is. What was um, your fussy point? My fussy point was is that there, I was getting emotional about my kids learning dance because dance has always been an important part to me. And actually, going, I'm going to circle back. Here I am going to circle back. She's doing it. She always does it. She brings it home. She brings it back to the book. Our grandmother, who was Joan, her name was June, but our no, grandmother, who was Joan, had one thing that made her human and that was she loved dance passionately and that is the one thing that made her human and it is something that that is the one thing that we all still love our mom you and i and i'm hoping my kids and it and, was and of- our aunts and our cousins like literally it's, it's in the whole family like it's there's it's- not one person in the family it hasn't touched And it was the thing, I mean, because I think about, like, a lot of people say that, a lot of men, and then I related to this, say that 
they were able to finally have an emotional connection with their dad when it came to sports, whether it was baseball or football. And for me, our bringing it home dance to sports analogy, mothers to grandmothers. So I I see it coming. So like there are, that was how I was able to have an emotional connection without baggage with my dad was with sports because a lot of other things had baggage and the only way that I was able to have a connection with that one grandmother who was June was over dance because she loved dance. And it was the one time I saw her, she was not judgmental about how people danced or who danced or she was less homophobic when it came to dance. Like, like that was the only time hmm. that I saw her be okay was through dance and it still brings me the most joy and pleasure is when I'm able to dance. And so I, the reason I was telling the story is I got emotional about my own kids taking a dance class and using words like plie and chasse is because I'm hoping that it will bring them some kind of emotional grounding because it was the one thing that I could relate to my grandmother about that I didn't want to punch her. Well, I didn't want to punch her. She was an old lady, but you know, like, yeah, she was, a oh, she was the asshole. She was the asshole. And that's yeah. why, that's why the book was both satisfying and not satisfying to you and me. Yeah. And I, and I, you said I hated it. I didn't hate it. It's just, you know, I want, I, I tend to speak in hyperbole. I apologize. <laughs> I have a, tend- oh my God. a tendency for a hyperbole. I have been trying to teach freshmen how to write a speech. Because, okay, this isn't a great assignment where in this law class, they get this assignment for this project where they get to pick any topic. And it's called the soapbox speech. Like, as in, I'm going to get on my soapbox. So first you have to explain what the hell that means to a freshman. And then- <laughs> to a freshman in 2023. Who, like, yeah. we need a new analogy. Because, like... Right. It's, I know. We don't have... We've never seen a person do that. And, like, our parents never saw a person do that. <laughs> like, we need a new, like... This is my Twitter rant, right? Like, we need a right. new analogy. Because soapbox is so old. That- right. I think it but, goes back to June. Did June see someone stand on a soapbox? I don't even like, know because I feel like it was like 120 years ago. But whatever. The name of the, the it's called the soapbox. Like I mean, I yeah. still use that expression too. But I'm wondering, maybe we could refresh. So the, uh, the point is, instead of us picking a topic, they get to pick a topic, which freaks out some people because they're like, I don't know, I don't know. But it's like, I don't know. Do you want more levels in your video games? Do you want? baseball to not have the designated hitter i don't know it doesn't matter do you want it climate change pronouns like whatever pick a topic right yeah um you get to pick it and then make a speech about it and then they turned them in the speech and then i was giving them feedback and a lot of them wrote really good papers was research but it wasn't a speech because it's like you have to bring in hyperbole or repetition i literally had them right before martin luther king day we watched i have a dream all the way through but then i had them analyze all the rhetorical devices where he does repetition analogy you know like all the different 
hyperbole imagery like there's so many things that you do and i literally have a kid say well that was just filler and i'm like no it's the difference like i don't want you to write me a paper write me a speech because you're going to say it out loud to people because they have to do it in front of people and i'm like nobody's going to remember it unless you do the repetition or the hyperbole so i was like do the hyperbole oh this is so helpful i need this you know i'm giving a good a big speech coming up i just listened to this book that was like talk like ted it was like how to give your speech like a TED talk. Yeah. Oh well. I need I yeah. need you like offline from the podcast. I'm gonna get you to give me the lesson you just gave to your students. <laughs> yeah, but it's hard. I mean, because it feels weird where you're like, why do we repeat things? Like, why did he say I have a dream over and over? Yeah. Over and over again, but because you have to, you know, like because it's a speech like there's certain things that you have to do in order to make it a speech yeah so anyway um so hyperbole is important and your point was that you loved <laughs> it was it. my point yeah i was like yeah i love it you hate it you're like i didn't hate it i'm like okay but i like to be extreme i like to speak in hyperbole like your point was is that i didn't like it and i wouldn't read it for pleasure and you're right i wouldn't um because I do go to therapy, but I don't read books for therapy. Yeah. And, um, and so like, I was, I wouldn't read this yearly and I wouldn't read it. Like I reread like the Thursday murder club books. Did you read the third one by the way yet? Is it out? It's out. It's so good. Oh my God. Okay. 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 Oh, third one is so good. it's out with them. That's going to be a whole other episode, but yeah, but like, and I, like those are fun to reread. It gives you all the, all the things, but like, I will read, reread this one on purpose every three to four years because like, I like it and I learn more every time. And like, yeah, it's interesting. Cause like, and like, as you, at first, you read it and you're like, I'm the daughters, I'm the husband. And then you read it again, you're like, maybe I'm her sometimes, you know, like, yeah. Because, okay. like, as you become more and more okay with, like, knowing that I'm the asshole, right? And then, like, am I going to go back and just be the same? No, I'm going to, I'm going to rebel against the trope of this book. I'm going to, I'm going to actually change, even when my family expects me to be the same, like, right? Like, Right. I, I, it's a book I'm going to reread. And I have, I did, because like when we reread it for this, I had definitely reread, I had definitely read it for the first time in 2020. So when I, when we read it, I had already kind of like, you know, me and my uh, ADHD, I was like, oh, what happens? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, um, so I, I, I think I'll gain more from it every time I reread it, but it's not, it's not cotton candy. Right. And I, I guess, I mean, because of course that I, I feel now I feel shallow that I want my <laughs> no, books okay. to the cotton candy. No, and I, I, but I, it's true because I, I always feel like that whenever mom gives me, you know, the um, Rachel Maddow's lowest, latest think piece as a Christmas Right. Gift. Or, God, what was the one? Um, yeah, it was about, oh, God, she's given me so many books. I've never given them away, but I haven't read very much of them because um, I'm like, oh, my God, this sounds really intellectual and really good. And if I were in college and the only thing I had to think about was expanding my brain, 
Right. Great. Um, but right now I can't do that. And right. when I have free time, I want bubble gum, which I get. Bubble gum, cotton candy, apparently. Actually, I'm thinking, no, I don't want bubble gum and cotton and candy because that's, it's I want red wine and dark chocolate. That's what we want. You, we know <laughs> us. It's red because, wine and dark chocolate. Because I don't watch, because I realize also, because like, I don't watch Desperate Housewives. I don't watch soaps. I don't watch, I don't know. Is that cotton candy? I I don't know. Is What is Psych? Is Psych cotton candy? Is Franny Fisher cotton candy? I don't know. Yeah, mine is uh, Love It or Listed. And uh, um, I actually, you know, I've, I've recently... Um, uh, oh, did, did you do we did you watch Bad Sisters? Did I get you to watch that? Bad Sisters? No, I don't even know what that is. Oh my god, it's on Apple TV. You have to watch it. Did I not get you to watch that? I thought I started it when I was there when I was living there. I don't know. No, I've, I've never. No, heard it's of really it. good. It's um, it's a. Uh, oh, you'll like it. There's a mystery, and it's sisters, and it's British. It actually takes place in Ireland, but they're doing an accent that we can understand. So I feel like it's like Ireland light. It's like Ireland doing accents for people not from Ireland. It's so good. And it's like dark and British. Like okay. There's, there's, okay. A, there's a dead person and you're trying to figure out who did it and like the whole thing. And like, oh, it's so good. By the way, I'm very intrigued by all the reviews of Poker Face. Have you heard about this? No. It's brand new. I haven't seen it, but I've read like three or four reviews that say it's Columbo, but in 2023. Huh. And I'm like, Columbo, which of course is a little bit before us, but of course I've seen him. Where he oh, goes. I used to watch Columbo all the time, I guess with mom. Did right, you... but yeah, no, yeah, because I feel like I didn't watch it as a kid. I'm trying to figure out. I watched and, it as a kid, so I feel like it must have been like on reruns, and Mom and I watched it when you were older yeah. or something. Because I've but, definitely seen a lot of Columbo. When I watched like The Princess Bride, I'm like, "Hey, that's Columbo." So, this is supposed to be every like four different things said it's Columbo. Speaking of which, we weren't going to talk about Glass Onion, but I think that Daniel Craig in those in the Glass Onion and what's the other one before it? Knives Out. out is doing Columbo. I think he's doing Poirot. Because he's gay. Yeah. But he's doing like a bumbling like, I don't know what's going on here. Like he's That's playing true. dumb in the way he that Columbo play dumb. plays dumb. And Poirot never, like Poirot isn't true. grounded enough to play dumb. But but he also like at the beginning of Glass Onion when she comes to him, or not, not the beginning, but the like the mid- Okay, spoiler of Brass Onion, but it's been out a long time now at this point. But so good, by the way. It's so good. But when she comes, and by the way, oh my god, she plays two different characters with two different accents. Ugh, what a Oh treasure. my god, I am so gay for Janelle Monet. <laughs> oh my god. I mean, I don't want to sleep with her. I just want to hang out with her and tell she's, me, her to tell me that I'm all gay for her, yes. Yes. I mean... Okay, but you would have been gay for her anyway, right? I mean, I mean, yes, obviously, I'm gay, and it's her, so yes. But like, she's she's got a gay for her quality, I right. imagine. But when he she comes and he's like, "I'm not Batman." They they she kind of talks to him like, 
he's amazing, right? Yeah. So there's, he's got, but he's so Poirot because he's got the action, he's got quirkiness. Like, there's, he's so Poirot. I mean, honestly, that little bathing outfit he's in is such a Poirot nod. And by the way, did you know that in the some of the international translations were like some like Easter egg thing we were watching? It didn't translate to say I'm not Batman in some of those scenes. So in some of those scenes, he said I'm in the translation in the subtitles. They said I'm not James Bond, which I think is better. I think it's better. It's a better nod to who he is because he never played Batman. So it actually is better to be like, I'm not James Bond. I'm just going to go in here. You know what I mean? Like, Right. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. That's awesome. By the way, I just got to say, I realize that it's queer baiting and there's a little bit of this, but what's queer baiting? Okay. I just read an article about this, so maybe I'm a little bit, but the fact that He's not Harry Styles. It's Daniel Craig, first of all, who's queer bait. He's not queer bait. He's just queer. It's, it's Daniel Craig. But the fact that... Did you see that commercial for the vodka that he did? I don't think so. Oh, my God. Okay, okay. Oh, my God. It's the most sexy queer thing I've ever seen. He does this dance. No, Daniel Craig can do that. He's not Harry Styles. This is different. It's like a vodka commercial. Craig commercial vodka. Look at this. Love the internet. Oh yeah, Belvedere. Watch this commercial. Oh my god. Watch this. You have to watch it in real time. Okay, yeah, so I guess the queer baiting um, argument for the listener who may not be aware comes up Benefiting from queer things and culture and stuff without necessarily standing up for trans rights and you know like that's the thing is like you can benefit from this stuff but you also have to show up right right well or you're like teasing of like yeah you could, but that's the thing I like am. yeah you can be like and then who cares if you're teasing of you are you aren't whatever we don't like lab- you know labels and stuff but what matters is like do you show up for the rights of people who are marginalized and that's valid and i don't know daniel craig's like that's why people criticize harry styles right according right. to he wants to have i'm it so knowledge about this uh, knowledgeable about this because i've listened to love it or leave it today <laughs> <laughs> so this is all my knowledge on this nice yes oh my god he's so cute no, he's more than cute. He's freaking sexy. Well, I'm gay in a non-man way, so that's why no, I think but, it's cute. Well, but and but so what I think is so amazing. I wouldn't call any of that sexy, but also I'm a lesbian and he's an old man. I find it adorable. What do you mean he's an old man? Um, he's an old man. <laughs> he's not old. Okay, Daniel Craig, age 54. Okay, he's nine years older than me. He's only four years older than me. Okay, in this video, he's giving, like, cute old man doing a a cute old man dance. Oh, my God. How? What? Okay, well, well, what? I'm also gay, so, like, I'm not getting sexy. I'm getting, like, that's so cute. And, like, another cute old man will think that's cute. Okay, so my thing is... This is is sexy to you? Heterosexuality is fascinating. (laughs) It's sexy to me because 
he comes off as interested in everyone. Right. And that we, Portia's sexuality is such that not toxic masculinity is very hot to you, which I appreciate. Mm. Yeah. Bisexual guys, very sexual to me. Right. Sexy to me. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. So that, yeah. So maybe that's why I think it's sexy. But what I think is fascinating is that. <laughs> like, oh, he's cute and old. <laughs> what? What? He's, he's old. Stop saying he's old. He's four years older than me. Stop it. Stop it. Hell, stop it. Stop it. You're insulting me. I'm sorry. Him. I'm insulting him, not you. You're but... not cute and old. You're sexy and young. <laughs> Seriously, four years. Okay. But you've aged so... much better than Daniel Craig. I'll tell you that. I would have guessed he was 11 years older than you, not four. Really? You thought he was in his 60s? Yes. After watching just... Glass Onion? Yes. Yes. Okay. What? Did we see the same movie? Okay. So my point is, first, <laughs> like, I had a point, And I thought about this point, like, in the shower today when I was like, oh, my God, I'm so excited to talk about Glass Onion with Amanda. So... I love Bond movies. I've read all of the Bond books. I've seen all the Bond movies in order. Back when I was broke, that was my vacation, was to watch all the Bond movies in order. But they are textbook toxic masculinity, including Daniel Craig as Bond. There was definitely one in the last one. Right, they are, he- like, all the analysis are like how, like, if you're a woman in his sphere, you're going to die. Well, and there was one, not in the last one, because I actually didn't see the last one, because seeing movies post-kids, like, it's actually, we just don't get to see them, and I, you know, haven't seen the last one, but the one before that, there was a scene, and of course we were watching it at home, because not out in the theater, where he takes this woman, he spins her around and pushes her up against the wall, and my husband goes, ooh, that was kind of rapey, in a way that I was like, Okay, I love my husband. I'm so glad he said that because, <laughs> but it was such a bond thing to do because, right. of course, pushing a woman up against a wall. I mean, literally, in one of the first, like the third bond, there's a lesbian and he kisses her until she enjoys it and then converts her to not be on the bad guy's side. Right. You know, there's so much stuff like that. But Here's Daniel Craig, who was that guy. And then he does this Belvedere dance, which well, actually it started. There was a movie, one of the Bond movies. And of course, um, it was, um, oh God, what's, I'm going to mess this up. Um, one of the bad guys was, um, okay, you're going to have to do. You're, you're being so Amanda right now. You're like, there was a movie. <laughs> I don't know the name okay. of it. And there was a bad guy. I don't know the name of them either. But there was a movie, and there was a good guy and a bad guy. You know okay. it. You get it. You get the movie. <laughs> such an Amanda story. <laughs> um, hang on. Bee's home. She'll know it. Where's a Daniel Craig movie where there's a bad guy? <laughs> All of them have bad guys. Where the bad guy was gay. The bad guy was gay. Flirted with him. Flirted with the him. bad guy flirted with him. The James Bond, the James Bond yes. one? Yes. Yes. There are two. Skyfall. Skyfall. Yes. 
Yes. And who's the guy? Who's the guy? And who's um, the guy? This is no country for old men. Um, Javier Bardem. Yeah, Javier Bardem. Okay, are we here? We're back. Okay. And we got cut off. Um, when I go back, I'm going to figure out when we got cut off exactly. All I know is that all of a sudden I couldn't hear a thing and you disappeared from the recording like you weren't even there anymore. Like, <laughs> yeah, I didn't put my headphones because Bianca came in and I was trying to incorporate her in the conversation because I was asking questions about Javier Bardem, yes. And then, yeah. yeah. Well, or, or getting to that name, which I knew she would know because she's good at actor names. And then I ruined everything. And then we went off in like a 45-minute tangent. Okay, so what I We're was back. saying... Which has nothing to do with anything. except Your for whole flight was Daniel Craig doing some gay things. Well, my point is, is that he has opened up what James Bond can do because he's always going to be associated with James Bond. And like freaking um, Sean Connery was the first James Bond. And he, I, I was reminded of this when um, Barbara Walters died recently and some people re-showed an interview she did with Sean Connery in like that 70s or 80s after he was Bond. And she's like, did you say that it was okay to hit a woman? And he was like, well, maybe. And she was like, in what context? And was like totally pushing him on like, why is it okay to hit a woman? Mm-hmm. But But Sean Connery was like the epitome of James Bond toxic masculinity. I don't feel I hit. I'm, I have sex in a forceful way, whether or not you want it, kind of thing. Right. And Daniel Craig started out there, and there were definitely times in the movies that he did that. And what I was trying to say about the Javier Bardem movie in Skyfall is there's a scene which is unfortunate because so many Bond movies, they have the bad guy be gay, which is a trope in a lot of movies going back 100 years where it's like what made them all so psychotic is also because they're gay, you know, like right. this trope. But Javier Bardem does a thing where he flirts with Daniel Craig and puts his hands on his legs because Daniel Craig has his hands tied behind his back. And Daniel Craig looks at him with a little twinkle in his eye and says, what makes you think it's my first time? And he flirts back. Mm -hmm. And that's something that no other Bond from Sean Connery on through would have done because flirting back would have been like admitting something that, because toxic masculinity has a little bit of, um, if I admit any bit of, temptation towards male sexuality then everything will fall apart right you know in this you know and the fact that daniel craig flirted black back i remember thinking well that's interesting that's different and the next i have not seen that i'm actually glad you brought that up i because like i only i watched the i think the first daniel craig one but i actually didn't realize that that happened well it was in the second one and um and then uh and it was just a small moment, but I remember noticing it and thinking, huh, that's a it's, little It's different. a small moment, but a big deal. And then the next one, or the next one after that, I don't know, he's been in a... There, Daniel Craig does go back to the toxic male, I'm going to take the woman and throw her against the wall. And one thing I said, once you stop recording, is that... There, 
it wasn't that one. It was the quantum of solace, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, uh, it was another one where he has sex with a woman or, you know, presumably, but he kind of throws her against the wall and pushes her back. And my husband, when we watched it the first time, was like, ooh, that's kind of rapey. And it made my husband uncomfortable because it was so forceful towards the woman. And so that's kind of back to the way Bond has done things, going back to Sean Connery. Right. But post-Bond, now that Daniel Craig is no longer Bond, viewing Knives Out and then Glass Onion. And in Glass Onion, it's pretty obvious that he's gay. Um, and then the Belvedere commercial, which I can't remember if that was part of the recording. Yes, that was that was before we got cut off. But, oh yes, because you were talking about he was an old man. Um, where he says, I'm not going to continue to be toxic, masculine, hetero asshole. Like he goes a different direction where he's sexy and playful and has eyeliner in the Belvedere commercial and in the Knives Out and Glass Onion where he's this character where he's like relaxed and... You know, and then they have this undercurrent of the relationship with him and Hugh Grant, where he's just like, I can t be James Bond and then be a completely different thing. Yeah. You know, and then say, I don't have to do this masculine thing. So that's all I, the point I was trying to make about that. What's great about Glass Onion is this question, is he Poirot? Because in Knives Out, he's like Perot trying to solve a puzzle in Glass Onion. Oh, yeah, that's how we got there. Because I was saying that he was Columbo because he, he plays the useful. Like, he plays an idiot. Right. Right. And in Glass Onion, he's playing an idiot. Yeah, he's definitely playing an idiot. But, yeah, I think Glass Onion is way more like Columbo. Because... Yeah, because when we find out, spoiler, when he find out at, towards the end what he knows at the beginning, that he's just playing. Right. And, yeah. And he's so being he's so, like, def you know, effusive and, like, accommodating to his host. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm invited here because he knows more. Right. And uh, the southern accent helps yeah, with that kind of effusiveness. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and I think Knives Out is more of a classic Agatha Christie whodunit with a lot of deflection where the golden boy who you think couldn't possibly done it because he's an ally is the one who, spoiler, but that came out a long time ago, as uh, the one who done it. I mean, you know. And it is more of an, a classic Agatha Christie because you don't really like anybody. Even the protagonist isn't that great. In Knives no, Out. Okay, yeah, yeah. Like, and that's what we, Bianca and I have talked about a lot. Like, whereas, like, in Glass Onion, like, you love Janelle Monet's character. Characters. Characters, <laughs> yes. But, like, right. but, like, in Knives Out, there's a lot more of the, like, a whole bunch of unlikable people. Right, right. Including, <laughs> what I remember is, like, um, uh, Buenois, is that his name? 
yeah yeah it's like the nazi the nazi kid he just straight up calls him the nazi kid because (laughs) because the teenager who's like a clearly a fascist like little shit and he's like the nazi kid and you're like yes thank you everyone's so like evil and unlikable enough for themselves and like i feel like yeah the glass onion is a more nuanced well, and Glass Onion is a thriller. It's more like one of the Poirot or Agatha Christie thrillers where you're like, what's going to happen? There's a lot of horrible people. And, oh, my God, the, you know, the Elon Musk character. Um, I don't remember his name, but it doesn't matter because he's Elon Musk. Um, yeah. Edward Norton, you know, like... Um, and then everybody else is some horrible current character, except for Janelle, Janelle Monet. Like, yeah. ugh. so it's not so much like as like everybody's horrible, and we're hoping we can figure out who did it. It's this one's more of a thriller. Like, are we going to f- get where we want to go? Yeah, yeah, it is so good. Like, I'm trying to think, what's another one? I mean, because she does do good thrillers. Agatha Christie has done good thrillers. Not the big four, because as we all know, we hate that one. (laughs) (laughs) I think Agatha Christie also hated that one. So in her defense. Yeah. Um, But, you know, she's done some great thrillers. Mostly the Tommy and Tuppence ones are great thrillers, you know. Um, where you're rooting, I mean, because of course we know that Benoit is good. We know he's good. And then once we get halfway through the movie and we get to go back to the beginning and we know uh, Janelle Monet's character is good. So then it's like, it's kind of like having Tommy and Tuppence without the comedy, right? So then now Tommy and Tuppence are be- dealing with all these horrible people. So yeah. how are we going to get No, there's this? totally comedy. Well, there is, there is, but not in the same way. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, love how way to bring in uh, glass onion because you wanted to, and I was like, I don't know how you're going to relate it to the book we're talking about, but you did it somehow. We're here. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know really how we it. got here, but you did it. I don't think I really did it. I think it was a stretch, but I said <laughs> here we are. Swish and talk about glass onion, but um, but it's really good and fun but in that escapism i mean in it we get to destroy elon musk and kill a horrible man's rights activist i mean like oh my god also benoit says to um what's her face's character when she's like i just speak truth and he goes saying things without thinking is not the same as speaking truth and it was so satisfying where you're like satisfying just saying the first thing that comes to your head is not mean that you're saying important things it just means that you're saying things yeah it just means you're an idiot um wait i got it i'm gonna do the porsche thing okay do the porsche thing what does that mean daniel craig recovering from toxic masculinity this book is about toxic white women's femininity. That's true. Okay, this break book it is home. about break toxic respectability from a feminine perspective. Like I, you know, white woman as the enforcer of the social norms that are helping no one. 
like her whole family is harmed she's harmed her husband is harmed her children are harmed but she's enforcing these norms that her culture gave her she didn't get them out of nowhere right and she's the enforcer of it which is the toxic white woman thing right okay yeah daniel craig as like him changing the perspective on toxic you know masculinity i feel like this that sort of mirrors this ha ha i brought it around did i do it they do something in that scenario her kids moved away suppose her husband moves away or dies or something she's by herself what would she do to no longer be toxic right and i think that's the thing that you craved i mean i don't even know what that normal way that when she came back if she would have been like hey, baby, why don't you go hang out with the farmer? I know that, you know, you like him and, you know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, I mean, but I'm I'm just saying like, no, 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 let's imagine it happened the way it happened because that's what would happen in real life. But if she's now 70 and she's alone, could she untoxify herself some way? Ooh. In that way. That- How do you do it? I don't know. I'm trying to think. As I I said, Daniel Craig went from Bond, which is like the ultimate, like, I have a penis that shoots arrows and guns out of it, to these characters with nuance and interesting and, you know, like, so how, what, what does it look like for her to, how would she untoxify herself? If her family, like her family has moved away from her, she's now actually alone. Mm. Could right. untoxify herself? I don't know. Well, right. So then it would be, because it doesn't have to be interaction with her family. It could be interaction with like her old schoolmates or the innkeeper or whoever. If she was just Something. a person to anyone. Right. Where she's <laughs> she could just not- be a person to any person. <laughs> Right, not like I'm better than everyone and I've done a great job, which is what. So I don't know. I mean, could she untoxify herself in the way that I have described that he has kind of done? Now, he was doing a character and he's doing another character, but I'm saying him doing that, doing the Knives Out Glass Onion movies and the Belvedere, he has purposely said, I'm rejecting that image, but those he's playing characters. So he gets to do that because none of it is him. Right. So I don't know if she could, could she in her late well, life? Yeah, and how, how do you change? Like, right. If I, if I notice that what I'm doing is crazy and, or what I'm doing is, is problematic. Right. How do I then move forward with like making my coffee tomorrow? in a new way like if you have the moment where you realize that you're the problem you realize that you have toxic behaviors then how do you shift that's yeah and that's the thing and i I feel like that's one problem with our current culture is that we don't have a path for redemption for people like we cancel people but we don't have a way to say you're the worst here's how you don't be the worst we just like you're the worst go away forever and like then they can only become fox news correspondents right we don't have a path for people to do better right i mean because of course if you have real contrition 
and real change. And I have seen it from people where people have said, I was wrong and now I'm doing stuff that's different. I've seen it from some people, but they have to say it over and over and over again. Right, which takes a lot of strength to stay in that place for a very long time because you have to say it over and over and over and over, you know? Yeah, which is why, you know... It's easier to stay in a place of righteousness than it which, is to go to a place of contrition and hold it for a long time, right? It which takes I guess so why, much strength of character. Yeah, which is, I guess, why the, as I, Trey liked my description of the turf who shall not be mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, because, um, hey, Trey, uh, the video game is coming out right now i know it's so sad that we can't play it and um i, I don't mean, play I'm, games but my partner does yeah and I I mean, mine too and so I, yeah i'm horrible at games but my partner yeah so like but um so it's come up a lot about people saying oh i would but and her righteousness like is she staying there because of defensiveness and righteousness like there's no path for her to come out you know, and I don't no, know. No, I think she's just the worst because the way she keeps tripling down. Like she, right? <laughs> she, yeah, she That's doesn't. Right I don't yeah. think we're doing. I don't think cancel culture is doing it to her. I think she's doing it to her. I think she's just really, really terrible. <laughs> yeah, which is so sad because how could somebody who come up with the original germ of story that so many people love, and then she's tripling down in this place of like self-righteousness and hatred i i don't know i mean because because it's true i think when you're the karen you don't want to, i'm not the asshole when i'm the karen i'm trying to right a wrong of whatever it is i don't know you know because yeah um and so how what is a path to redemption is a really good question i mean i guess that's what the ending of this book is like could she have found a path to redemption with her husband, with her kids, with us, could she have? Was there any possible way for her to? I know that the realistic thing is that she runs into people who react to her as if she's her, and she says, "Oh yeah, that's me. I'll go back to being me." But is there a path for her to change? I don't know. Right, and I and I kind of like that the ending is short term because I think her. Like you said, her daughter and her husband maybe had a glimpse of something different because she was changed in some way. And like, then she goes right back to her behaviors. But like, it's the end is very short. Mm -hmm. So maybe she will continue to change. You right. Know, like, I don't, I didn't feel to me final. Yeah. I mean, because she is only 50, as we know, which is, and like, so she, she keeps telling us she looks great for her age. So, like, maybe she can subtly, subtly, I can't, I, I don't know how to say that. Um, Subtle. Subtly. Um, <laughs> subtly. Stop pushing people to be what she wants them to be. She could start, yeah, she could. I, I, yeah. Is there a path to resumption to her, but it's a path that might take 10 years. Yeah. To expose to people that she realizes that she's now different and that she's the asshole. 
And in some ways, imagine that. Like, I, I could also see the story where, like, okay, so let's say it's now times. And someone goes away to the yoga retreat or something and comes back with, like, an overwhelming amount of change. And, like, the rest of us being like, I can't tolerate this. Oh, yeah. No, thank you. You know what I mean? Like, I, there's definitely times when, like, someone I love, like, I'm imagining dad going to therapy or something and him being like, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, dad, you're doing a lot. You know, like, so, like, also, you know, I have also been a part of the family system that was like, I don't know what's happening here. Right, right. And right. so I do think there's some some grace to not coming back and being like, and everything's different, and here's how. Right, right, right. So I, yeah, I can I can finish I can finish the narrative in my head and be like, okay, so maybe over time she does a little better, or she. Right. Says, you know what? I'm gonna go out of town and give you a break from me. Or <laughs> right, right. Like she has a little bit of self awareness. She starts sending letters state. to her daughter with a little bit more like awareness or whatever. Yeah, and that would be, yeah, that would be satisfying in a way, and in a way that's realistic. Because, yeah, I mean, because we all try to change. I mean, I can think about the times the this week where I'm like, I'm going to do different things and it's like a long process. Yeah. It's so hard. I always think about my, that with myself, like mostly for me, it's about like what I'm eating or whatever, but like I have this thing about like, I'm in a boat that's going downstream and when I try, when I can get it going upstream, I can do it, but as soon as I get off track and like the current kicks me, I'm going downstream and it's so hard to get back going upstream, right? Like you got to turn the boat all the way around and then you got to go exactly upstream. See, and then it's pretty easy to swim up to like go exactly against the current. But when you're going, trying to go sideways, like, like you have to get a completely 180 degrees. That's a better thing in my head. It's an escalator. There's the down and the up. And one of them is gaining weight and the other one's losing weight. And I always was like, how did I get on this one? Oh, like, I don't even yeah. realize. No, for I'm me, I'm, of- a, I'm, in, I'm like, you know, in like a, 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 you know, cruise ship, like the big, huge boat. that's very, you know, like that just, it's following the current and I can go exactly against the current. But if I try to go like 45 degrees of the current, then like, that's just going to flip me around. Like, right. But like, I have to be like, very goal oriented exactly against the current and like as soon as you're going downstream it's scaring you faster than you ever thought right 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 yeah 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 that's a that's and it a takes a long time to turn the boat around but once you're going up that way it's you got it so it's like not that hard once you're in that direction but you got to get in that direction that's a better analogy than escalator which is what i Thank i've you. been doing for years but sometimes okay. you're that boat that got stuck in that canal in the pandemic whatever that was called Oh my God. I've been, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sometimes that's where you are. <laughs> well, you're like, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> just just stuck in this canal. Left, right? I'm not just doing anything. embarrassed and it's a pandemic, so everyone's watching me. <laughs> oh, I like all of your analogies. Your analogies are excellent. All right, okay. wrap it up, Portia. We got to bring it home. Um, well, okay, you... Portia scale, Portia scale, Portia scale. You sold me on this book more now that we've talked about it. In terms of its therapeutic nature, I still wouldn't read it for pleasure 
or probably ever again. But <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> but I would give it probably a seven or an eight, seven and a half. I'll give it a seven and a half because because it is well written. You don't it's like good, it, but it's good. I don't like it, but it's good, and I don't like it for the reasons of. I don't want to examine myself and I'm willing to admit that, that like when I'm stressed out, my escapism is I don't want to examine myself or you. Like, I don't want to hear about your mental struggles or mine. I'm busy escaping and I'm, and I, it's a rough read. I will give you that. It's a rough read. And so, and and it's, it's embarrassing to admit to myself that I'm, that kind of self-reflection is hard. And, you know, like I just, you know, life is hard and self-reflection is hard. Yeah. And what's, what's interesting about her life is her life actually isn't hard. Yeah. And so. Right. And and in some ways she's because of, she's not wrong. Her respectability rules have made things easy in the way that like financially, basically. But it's like, but her kids have pain and things, and her husband, like, yeah, the pain is all around her, but it's not financial, which is what mostly hurts us. Like, you know, I feel like you know, it's easy to find things that have to go with like, ah, I'm stressed about money. She doesn't have that, right? And I guess so. I, I guess I would think, oh my gosh, and I, I suppose that if all of the shows about all of the stuff, you know, Desperate Housewives, or all these shows that I don't watch, but I've absorb through the ethos that you would think people who had all of the money and all of the time would be able to do more self-reflection, but instead they do some sort of navel gazing. Yeah. uh, Where it turns into a narcissistic kind of weirdness as opposed to a grounded awareness of where they are in the world. And that's the weird part. When you have no struggles at all, then why does it, why can't you be aware of your place and how, what kind of effect you have on the world? Yeah. You know? Okay. So So, 7.5. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I know, you know, so, and maybe you could talk me into reading it again. You might be like, it might be a hint, Portia, it's time to read Absent in the Spring again. No, I don't, I don't, I didn't read it and think, oh my God, this is Portia. <laughs> like, I don't... no, no, but no, but like, it's time for you to remember that we all need to self-reflect. Yeah. But I mean, so... respectability is not your jam. <laughs> Never has been. And I'm just saying like, you know, there are people our age who are respectability. And I'm probably in some ways, I was probably more that person more than you. Yeah. But self-reflection is a thing that we all struggle with. And so if you wanted to say to me, hey, read that as a reminder that we need to be like, what's going on with you? <laughs> Even if it's not, I mean, yeah, I'm not Joan. I don't, I never felt with her, but I did go, oh shit. If I had to be alone in a place where I had no entertainment and nobody to talk to for four days. Right. What, what kind of shit would I come up with? Yeah. And it's, it's such an interesting thought experience, especially now when, like, we've all accommodated to having, you know, all the world's information in our pocket, whereas, you know, even 10 years ago, 
We didn't have that. Right. And now we can't live without it. You know, we can't go five minutes without being able to access anything on our fingertips. So it is, it is an interesting thought experiment. Right. Could I go four days off the grid? Without a book, even? Without a book, even. I mean, she had two books and then she she read them both and that was it. Yeah, I'd probably reread the books. Over I thought I was thinking, I'll just reread the books. <laughs> over and over, I'd start like annotating the books. I write yeah. fan fiction about the books. <laughs> In the margins. Yeah. Well, I'm delighted that we came back. Yes, we will. Yeah. Do we you have not... you looked up what is our next book? I have not. Let me let me look right now. Okay. Are we back on to traditional Agatha? They always kick me back to the beginning. Is it oh, the one I'm thinking it is? I don't know. What, okay, so after this, death comes at the end. Um, oh, is that, is, is that the Egyptian one? It's the Egyptian one. Yes! Oh, oh my god. god, these are like two of my faves in a row. This is a good one. It's and so I love it because good. Oh, it's so good because, of course, she makes the connection that, guess what? Ancient Egypt, also people. Right. And again, we can have the conversation about, I think we, we previewed this last time we, we talked about this book coming up. Like, did she have the right to, did she have the right to write from this perspective? Right. But it's so good. And she didn't say, I am Egyptian. She said, Egyptians, ancient Egyptians, 3,000 years ago, also people. Murder mystery. Let's write it in that setting. So Because good. guess what? Probably 3,000 years, 4,000 years ago, maths, maths, 4,000 years ago, people probably killed each other. So good. Yeah. Oh I my love gosh. That I'm one. so excited for that one. It's so good. Okay. All right. I don't know when we're going to record again because next weekend... Chris and I get to go out for a Valentine's Day date. It's very exciting, you know. But oh, it is do- exciting. And I'm, uh, yeah, I'm actually out of town. Uh, I fly out next weekend, and I'm and I'm I'm doing a conference. So, so but hopefully not two months. <laughs> yes, hopefully not so long. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for listening. Okay. So, uh, uh, listeners, please read Absent in the Spring and join us um, for the discussion next time, whenever that happens. No, and death comes at the end, as the end. That's the next one. Absent the Spring is what we just did. Okay. Say it again. <laughs> death comes as the end. As the end. And I always want to say at the end, but it's as the end. Yeah. Death comes as the end. Death Great. comes as the end. Up next. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for listening to Pod. Pod. Thank you.